Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Compliant with Alliant, our compliance podcast. I'm Christine Blanco. I'm here with Diana. Hi everyone. So today we're here to talk to you about what we are reluctantly referring to as ARPA. Oh, I, I didn't agree to that. <laughs> I'm not. calling it the ARPA. Fine, fine, fine. Um, so at any rate, we want to talk to you about um, the American Rescue Plan Act that passed and was signed into law last week, which largely focused on pandemic relief in the form of unemployment benefits, stimulus checks, and other funding provisions. Um, but like many of these bills, they've wedged in some very key provisions that impact employers, including a, a 100% COBRA subsidy, some increases. Um, in terms of tax exclusions, one for dependent care reimbursements that goes up from 5000 to 10500 the extension of tax credits available under the FFCRA. I think that covers about the main components, right? I mean, that's our universe of it. Yep. So um, there's some really key provisions in here. I'm going to have Diana take over and talk a little bit about the fundamentals of COBRA and what's going on there. Um, thanks, Chris. Just, again, I don't want to bury the lead here. I'm probably repeating Chris a little bit. Uh, but again, the ARPA includes a 100% COBRA subsidy for a six-month period beginning on April 1st, 2021 and ending on September 30th. This is big, mo- uh, big very big news. Um, but I want to just point out that this applies only to a group of employees called an assistance eligible individual. So an AEI is defined as a COBRA qualified beneficiary who is eligible for COBRA due to involuntary termination of employment or a reduction in hours resulting in a loss of coverage that would carry their continuation period um, into any part of the six-month subsidy window. But I want to just go back and just briefly hit, um, because we're going to be drawing this distinction around qualifying events, generally under COBRA, you are entitled to um, either an 18-month or up to 36-month period of continuation of coverage due to only listed statutory qualifying events. Those include termination of employment, uh, voluntary and involuntary, but again, here our AEIs are limited to involuntaries, reduction in hours below eligibility requirements. This would encapsulate our AEIs as well. Other qualifying events can be uh, divorce, uh, death of a covered employee, dependent child aging out of a plan. So uh, that's basically what... none of those at issue here. None of those at issue. So we want to remember our basic COBRA background, and then we're narrowing those qualifying events that can trigger this COBRA subsidy. So one really important limiting factor on the subsidy is that the subsidy will end when an AEI becomes eligible for other group health plan coverage that is not accepted benefits. So we want to remember our accepted benefits. Those are generally going to be things like our dental and vision plans, our health FSAs. It could be an EAP. Uh, But so again, they're eligible for another group health plan. We're generally looking at major medical. That subsidy ends, and they have to timely notify that group health plan of the end of the subsidy period, or they're going to face a pretty big penalty. And the penalty is, I think, the greater of $250 $250 or 110% of the value of the subsidy they're receiving. Right. So full, that like full freight cobra. Oh, full freight cobra mm-hmm. and it and it puts the onus on those AEIs. They cannot sit on this. That's right. And I think too, do we want to talk about sort of a somewhat related issue? There's a couple of I think related issues there which when we when we invoke um, sort of the concept of accepted benefits. Um, 
when we're reading through the the statute, and I'd like to note for the record that um, this has brought us into the, um, into work uh, two weekends, and for you know reasons that somewhat will re remain unsaid, but we're not happy about this. Listen, <laughs> one weekend is never enough to handle a Cobra subsidy. I, well, I guess that's what we're learning. But at any rate, um, with respect to you know how this applies and the scope of this, um, our reading is that. Um, it does not apply, extend to health FSAs, right? Explicitly does not, because otherwise those are subject to COBRA. Yeah, yeah. But it does apply potentially to dental and vision the way we read it. Yeah, and I think the, the problem with ARPA is... Um, you said it. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> the problem with the ARPA is that a lot of it, um, and we see this with fast drafting, it raises a lot of sort of unanswered questions, and we really need this clarifying guidance. And I know Chris and I are both hoping that clarifying guidance says the subsidy does not apply to any... Accepted benefit. But we, yeah. just, we just don't know. Right now, the only one carved out is health FSAs. And um, can we bring up the weirdness on who pays the premium? Yeah, but first I was going to talk about that, um, the issue, because you were talking about other group health plan coverage, right, and that the subsidy ends. Um, and maybe does that take away the HIPAA special enrollment right issue? Well, I think, um, I mean, I think we're going to apply our traditional rules. Yeah. The loss of any employer subsidy for COBRA during the continuation coverage period does not allow for a HIPAA special enrollment right onto a group health plan. It does onto an exchange plan, but our little soundbite on this for group health plans is COBRA, if elected, must be exhausted. Exactly. And so to the extent that, you know, and I think that's part of your employee communication is, you know, if you're going to take COBRA, take this subsidy for six months, when it runs out, um, you, 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 need, you don't have a HIPAA special enrollment right. And, and then moreover, um, if you have access to other group health plan coverage, you need to get on because you're no longer eligible for the subsidy. Yeah, and again, we could see some of this change in subsequent guidance, but as so, written, that's, that's what it says. Do you want to talk about the weirdness on the, oh, to whom it's premiums so, are payable? So weird. So how they tee this up is, um, so the person responsible for paying the COBRA premium, and it's, it's really not a person, it's going to be... In, I know, they use person in this whole thing. It's they maddening. use person a lot. <laughs> but so they say it's the, uh, the, the entity or person uh, to whom premiums are payable. And we know for group health plans, um, individual qualified beneficiaries, they send that money to their employer, plan sponsor, or COBRA TPA, and then that money gets um, sort of sent off to either a carrier or a TPA or something, and then the coverage sort of continues under COBRA. But they do something really weird in the law where they say, we are going to treat the entity to whom premiums are payable as the carrier for insured plans and the employer for self-insured plans. But mechanically, that's never how it works. And we don't see how that could work here either, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah I think we'll need some, some subsequent guidance on, um, on that particular provision. And, and especially, too, as it relates to sort of how, you, how an entity gets reimbursed for advance, because essentially this is an advance, right? Employers are going to be advancing, and then they're going to, you know, they have a tax credit that should arguably make them whole. But I don't, under, we're not really clear how that would work in, in, in the situation with an insurance carrier. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you're going to cover the tax credit later, right? I am. Okay. Yeah. So do we want? And so we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Do we? Do we? Do, should I talk about optional um, change of plans? Your favorite thing? Oh, you you definitely need to talk about this because I don't like it, but I see there's a potential upside to it. But sure, go she, on. She came out hot on this optional <laughs> offer to change plans. So under the act, you're allowed but not required to give these AEIs the option to elect coverage. Um, under a lower cost benefit option. So as opposed to the general rule which says you enroll in the cover, you know, you get COBRA continuation coverage for the benefit option you were enrolled in before your qualifying event. And, and that's the rule, of course, later in an open enrollment, you can switch that. But this is allowing folks to, at the outset of COBRA, say, hey, I want to elect into a lower cost benefit option. Now, there's some provisions there. Um, it, ha- it can't be accepted benefits, and then uh, similarly situated active employees also have to be eligible for this. So there's some limitations there. But essentially, I think that you know, the intent is to allow folks to opt into COBRA maybe if it were less expensive of an option. Um, we are cautioning on this because there's a lot of hidden administration within that. So we all know it's not so easy to switch over mid-year. So let's say you have somebody who, as an active employee, is in one plan. They've accrued certain out-of-pocket uh, limits. And, you know, how do you switch those over? There's no, you know, that's really a matter of contract and how each carrier or, you know, each benefit plan option handles that. It can get really complex. Well, and the things that I um, am more concerned about are things like, you know, you're going to need carrier or stop-loss approval before you allow this sort of massive reshuffling. And, and it's just going to be a lot of administration work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but the upside, which I sort of reluctantly recognize, is if employees switch to lower cost plans, the amount the employer is out of pocket exactly. is reduced, but you're getting that money back through those uh, tax credits that we keep teasing about. Yeah, so I think, you know, for like anything um, in, in this area is, you know, how how much capacity do you have from an administrative standpoint and is any potential cost savings, you know, worth it or a sort of employee morale issue. So it's all something to consider. I mean, I think too, we're, we're, we're looking at this against a backdrop of pretty heavy administrative burden right now on employers in terms of getting people on and off the plan with, you know, the wretched outbreak period rules and all of that. And so I really don't want to talk about that. We're not period. going to talk about that, but you know, we understand. And I think, you know, you as, as an organization need to take into the you know account that you're already administrating some really complex rules um, around COBRA. Um, Chris, do you want to talk about how it gets even worse? Oh yeah. Um, so there's a batch of folks that we're calling declines or drops. Drops. Thank you. So um, a new election opportunity under the act is allowed for those qualified beneficiaries who previously declined COBRA or dropped it before this April 1st effective date, if their coverage period, again, would run into this six-month subsidy period. So it's anybody who lost coverage due to termination of employment or reduction in hours. Um what that means is that you're going to have to go back and grab those folks and provide them a specialized notice. And then, I mean, the beauty is that it doesn't extend their COBRA coverage period. You know, they would get the coverage prospectively. So if somebody who was fired last year or, you know, let go on July 1 and they declined COBRA, you're going to have to go back and offer them COBRA. They would elect effective, you know, April 1 with nine months remaining 
of coverage available. But administratively, you're going to have to start, start talking to your, your, your carrier, your TPAs and your carriers. And from what I understand, from a market perspective, they're already taking a look at that. But you're going to have to go back and capture those folks. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, finding these AEIs, finding these declines and drops. And we know that this is going to... Um, be a huge administrative burden, and a lot of this is going to come down to new required notices. Oh, good segue. Beautiful. Oh, wait, yeah, that thank you. Um, so what we think is happening, well, actually what the Act says is that the DOL is going to have to create, um, I think it's either three or four new model notices in connection with the subsidies. So again, these are going to be going to our AEIs, um, which do not include our voluntary terms. Um, so you're going to be looking at using your old notices for all your other other qualifying events and then we're going to have these kind of new notices that we're going to need to use for our declines and drops and then our uh, involuntary terms and reductions in hours during the subsidy period. So again, we're going to have a new general election notice that's describing the availability of the subsidy for our AEIs that you are going to need to use starting April 1, 2021 through September 30th. And the catch there is we, we don't have that model notice yet. That should be out. Um, I mean, it's going to be out pretty quickly. It's yeah. going to be out, um, I think, first week in April. Yeah. Okay. So our next new notice is going to be for our AEIs, who are our declines and our drops. And we're going to describe their new election opportunity and the availability of the subsidy. And we've got to get that to them by May 31st. Next up, we're going to have a notice for all of our currently enrolled AEIs. So these are people who are just on COBRA, but as the result of those special qualifying events, um, involuntary terms, reduction in hours, and we're describing the subsidy to them. And again, we've got to get that notice by May 31, 2021. Last, we have a sort of strange and separate notice that has to go to all AEIs receiving the subsidy, telling them that the subsidy period will expire on September 30th, and they give us a window within which we have to provide that. So it's August 16 um, through September 15, we've got to give them that notice of the end of the subsidy. And also, if you want to allow that enrollment opportunity into a lower cost plan, uh, the notices are going to have to describe that. So. Um, Again, we're going to be getting these, these notices. It was within 30 days of enactment, first week in April. So we're going to be watching for that as, mm -hmm. in addition to a bunch of clarifying guidance. Yeah, and, and it, we're going to do a webinar on this, and we've, we've set it out a little bit far enough to allow for that guidance. Also, too, it, it may require and will likely have something that sort of you know is a cover letter to these new notices that just sort of level sets for the employee population what's happening, what's going on, what should they pay attention to. Um, okay, so with that, the question is how how is this being paid for? Who's paying for this? You know, the federal government is paying for the subsidy. Um, obviously, um, employers are going to take on the administrative burden of this, and largely what I consider to be, I guess, fronting the money. Um, so. The mechanics of that, for those of you unfamiliar with sort of the federal employment tax process, which, you know, is would you don't necessarily aren't, as a matter of course, familiar with that, but employers generally must deposit their federal income tax that they withhold from employees, and both theirs and the employee's Social Security and Medicare taxes with the IRS on a monthly or semi-weekly basis. So I look at this, there's a bucket of money that goes in um, and is deposited, um, you know, on, you know, a regular basis. And you're, you're, you, if you have you know, a tax advisor, 
they know your schedule. It's something you have to decide at the beginning of the year. And so um, the way this tax credit works is, is also the way the Families First Coronavirus Act tax credit works um, for paid sick leave and paid family medical leave, which allows you to sort of withhold those deposits or in the event um, that your COBRA premium subsidy output is going to exceed your tax liability, potentially um, get an advance of that tax credit. But it's all shored up in this um, federal you know, income tax process. And so, again, those of you who are familiar with the FFCRA, this will be a little bit you know, kind of second nature. Those of you who aren't over 500 employees, this may be new to you. Um, What's interesting is that the law provides that employers can't really, you know, double dip on the FFCRA tax credit and this COBRA subsidy. And so interestingly, and, and I'll segue into this, the FFCRA tax credit has been extended so that if employers are voluntarily providing that leave, they can continue to take the tax credit. But to the extent they can't, quote, double dip on that, it's um, it'll be interesting to see whether Essentially, you know, employers may not be motivated to do that anymore on a voluntary basis. Yeah, I mean, especially against the backdrop of all of the sort of state and local mm -hmm. uh, paid sick leave, sure. paid family leave things percolating. Exactly, exactly. So um, we want to oh, talk, I need to talk about DCAPs. I definitely need to talk sure. about uh, DCAPs. Yes, this was exciting. This was exciting. <laughs> but it also highlights how confusing some of these mechanics um, are when we look at our dependent care accounts. So we know that the Appropriations Act, which felt like a, a lifetime ago, was that when that was passed? Oh, yeah, it was 17 years ago. Okay, <laughs> so the Appropriations Act allowed, uniquely, DCAP carryovers. And it also allowed a 12, or, or alternative to a carryover, a 12-month grace period for DCAPs. So this was good news. It basically meant uh, employees enrolled in a DCAP or salary reducing to fund a DCAP um, we're going to avoid forfeitures. However, nothing in the Appropriations Act raised the $5,000 reimbursement limit, and that applies on a calendar year basis. Um, so it was a lot of confusion. We have now these huge DCAP balances, but we don't have an increase to the reimbursement limit. So um, again, the ARPA actually raises the dependent care reimbursement limit from $5,000 to $10,500, but only for the 2021 calendar year. So you want to be careful because some of the Appropriations Act provisions bleed into 2022. This increase only applies to 2021. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good news. And there's all these sort of little ways in which um, these provisions impact how things work and how you report and all of that. Um, Okay, lastly, uh, I mentioned before that there was an extension of tax credits for paid sick and family leave, and I think that was also in the Appropriations Act. And it's, um, it's also in this, that, that this ARPA, that <laughs> <laughs> and those paid family leave provisions, and remember they really apply only to employers under, um, under 500, and that remains uh, the case. Um, that, that employers can continue to provide those on a voluntary basis and that continued tax credits will be uh, provided 
if you choose to do that. Um, there's some expansion of the leave, a new 10-day bucket of emergency paid sick leave, some things that you'll want to pay attention to if you're opting into this in any measure. Um, I think potentially most importantly is this provision of a non-discrimination rule where you can't provide this leave voluntarily to only a group of your highly compensated folks. And so um, if you're continuing to provide this leave, like Diana said, there's a there's a host of other obligations and mandates that you know may or may not impact how you see this. But if you're if you're going to you know, look at this paid family leave, the tax credit is available under certain circumstances, and you want to familiarize yourself um, with the availability of that. So I think. Um, that brings us to the end of the podcast. We'll probably have another one when regs come out. We'll have um, a webinar on this topic. We're already getting a lot of questions on, you know, how does this impact nonprofits and, and um, public entities and all of that is um, probably clarified in, in regulatory guidance. And we'll be back with you on it. So thanks for joining us.